Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Gozanski, and today I am really honored to bring you my guest, Linda Yael Schiller. Linda Yael Schiller is a psychotherapist based in Watertown, Massachusetts, with over 40 years experience. She is an international teacher, consultant, trauma therapist, and dream expert. Linda is the author of two books, Modern Dreamwork, New Tools for Decoding Your Soul's Wisdom, and PTS Dreams, Transform Your Nightmares from Trauma Through Healing Dreamwork. Her third book, Ancestral Dreaming, will be out next year. She is Professor Emeritus from Boston University School of Social Work, and she has developed several innovative theories for dream work, trauma and nightmare healing, and group process. She integrates traditional therapeutic styles with dream work, energy psychology, body-based modalities, and spirituality. Her website is lindayaelschiller.com. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you so much, Cindy. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Your resume is really exciting. It's so rich with so many things that I'm interested in and I know my listeners are interested in. And I'd like to start by asking the main question I ask all my guests, what does being a heart-centered therapist mean to you? Mm. So that's where I start, I think, and finish actually. And everything else is gravy. (laughs) <laughs> or in the middle. So the for me, I, I've studied a lot of different modalities. I'm trained in EMDR. I'm trained in Reiki. I do somatic work. I do dream work. I do all these. I have a really big toolkit. But no matter how big our toolkit is, I think that the most important thing we lead with is the relationship that we have and that we develop with our clients. And for me, that's the essence of good therapy is having a connection and from the heart. I don't hold my heart back. I know how to keep a professional distance. It's not that, but it is a relationship that goes both ways. I'm very attuned to that is a relationship that goes both ways. And that's a heart-centered approach. Mm. I love how you said that. I don't hold my heart back. And you have so much experience and this is how you lead. And I think it's harder for newer therapists to, to do that. So with so much ease and being natural and not holding their heart back because they're bombarded with different messages about how to sit in the chair and be a therapist. But it's also really refreshing for me to hear that, yes, you're trained in all of these high-level modalities, and still it comes down to being heart-centered first. Mm -hmm. That's my philosophy, too. I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagram work? A a little bit. Okay. I use Enneagram, among other things. It's a wonderful way 
to quickly get, no pun intended, to the heart of the matter of someone's personality style. And there are nine points. It's a spiritual, it's originated in a Sufi spiritual tradition, and it's like a spiritual Myers-Briggs. A lot of people are familiar with that. And there are three main centers. Each of the um, nine points are divided into three centers. So there's the head center, the heart center, and the action center. And my particular Enneagram point is in the one of the heart-centered points. So I come by oh, it naturally. <laughs> yes, that's so cool. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, that's such a great lead in too. That's from a spiritual tradition. And mm. we're going to talk today about things that are a little bit, they're juicy, talking about dreams at, with our clients or with ourselves, nightmares and trauma and the spirituality that can also underlie this work. So let's dive in. You're a dream expert. I do want to know how you came to be a dream expert because you've been doing this for a while. So could you share a little background on that, please? Sure. From way back from when I was a kid, I was always interested in the esoteric and the uncanny and in alternative spirituality and ways of knowing. So that always has been an orientation and an interest of mine from a young age. And then when I was in my, after I finished college, I lived in Israel for five years and then came back to the States and I moved to the Boston area and joined a dance community. So it's all leading up to connection to dream work, how I got there and finished my master's and started working in the field. And a friend of mine from my dance community said she was moving up from New York to the Boston area and she was not going to miss anything in New York except her dream circle. And she said, I'm going to start one in Boston. So will you join? And I just said, yes. And then I said, what's a dream circle? So somehow I had this, um, this intuitive knowledge that this is something that's really important to me. I didn't know at that moment that, that was going to end up being really my life path and one of my main directions in terms of my my both personal and professional work in the world. Um, but that was how it started. Someone invited me to join her. It, a dream circle is in short a, a group for working on dream work together and you do it together with other people. That was how it started. And we're still meeting wow. over 40 years later and wow. I've been running professionally led dream circles for many years as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. Wow. And what a great community. I think it's something I talk about here on the podcast a lot because so many therapists feel like they're lacking community. We yeah. practice often in, in a lot of isolation and with our the type of career we have. And so to have that kind of community so long standing is amazing. Yeah. Thank you. And I totally agree. And one of the things that's wonderful about doing dream work in a group is that you quickly form very deep connections because you're talking about the productions of your deepest soul and of your unconscious and bringing it to light. And then when we sit together in a group, everyone resonates with and everyone can connect with everyone else's dream. So we be we get to know each other rather quickly in ways that would take a much, much longer time if we weren't doing dream work together. Mm, yeah. And Linda, your expertise as a group process therapist really mm. shines there, right? So you're very interested and knowledgeable about group dynamics. And then this takes it to even greater depths when you're talking about content like interpersonal, innermost dreams and 
I'm sure like the subconscious and all of that. It's really like a, a marriage made in heaven because my first sort of professional focus and where I did my original scholarship was in group work. When I taught at Boston University School of Social Work, I taught clinical practice, but I mostly taught group work. And I wrote theory about using the relational model that came out of the Stone Center from Wellesley College, Jean Baker Miller's work, and a number of other people. And I applied that to doing group work. So I have a whole theory of group um, development based on this relational model that's now taught really all over the country and maybe the world as one of the main um, things to look at group dynamics and group um, development. And it comes from that heart-centered place of being in relationship with others as the starting point. So part of my job doing leading any kind of group or facilitating any group is to hold the space, keep people safe in the space and make enough room for people to be vulnerable within safety. So there are not a lot of group rules in a dream circle, but there are a few, which includes confidentiality. And so I, and I definitely pay attention to time as the timekeepers, everybody gets a turn and that kind of thing as well. So that supports the group process. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. And the critical function of safety in groups and then especially in a dream circle. So I don't want to make the assumption of the leap then from your personal dream circle to Mm -hmm. then working clinically with dreams and trauma and nightmares and PTSD. How did that evolve? Good question. I think organically because along the way in my clinical practice, I think you can't be a clinician today without knowing about how to hold and work with trauma. And back in the day, when we first started our our therapy careers, it wasn't known about as much. It wasn't spoken of as much. There wasn't a body of knowledge the way there is today. So nowadays, there's no excuse to not be a trauma-oriented therapist because We know enough to know that many of the quote-unquote diagnostic categories that we have, PTSD is a great example, plus there's a whole lot of others that really, including personality disorders, that's a different conversation, (laughs) but including that, where the roots are in trauma, whether it's interpersonal trauma, whether it's familial trauma, whether it's global trauma, whether it's ancestral trauma. There are many layers to the way someone can be affected by difficult life experiences. And we know that when someone has experienced trauma in in their lives and or in their family's life, that it affects us at all levels of being. It affects our cognitions. It affects how we relate in the world. It affects our physiology and it affects our spirituality as well. And one of the phrases that people who have suffered a lot of trauma speak about is that soul-shattering experience, which really speaks to the loss of faith and trust and hope in the universe. So part of the work in long-term, ideally when we have a chance um, to do long-term work with people, is really that restoration of a spiritual center. And one of the best ways to do that is both waking and sleeping dream work. Mm, Wow. I hope that people might even just rewind that because it was so articulately said and so important for us to see the centrality of trauma and how we we need it now, but then that it's at that 
spiritual connection where the wound is really the deepest. So we're already going there, waking and asleep dreams, dream work. (laughs) Um, Linda, why don't we just start with, you have a whole book on nightmares. So maybe let's start by talking a little bit more structured around nightmares. Why do we have nightmares? And where do you go with nightmares? Most of our clients who've had traumatic experiences in their life will have either waking or sleeping nightmares. A waking nightmare is what we call a flashback. So it's the same type of I'm here, but I'm not here. It's then, but it's still now where time and space become collapsed. And it's as if we're somewhere else that we, we aren't anymore in actuality. Just to back up before I speak a little bit more on that is that we as psychotherapists, as a general rule, are are woefully untrained in dealing with dreams and nightmares. Right. Aside from a few specialized um, body, mind, spirit schools like um, Pacifica and Naropa, the most of our sort of quote unquote regular um, professional development and and graduate degrees doesn't even include a mention of it in the curriculum is that maybe a nod to Freud, but not really even that much to Jung or everything that's been happening since then. And the pithy little slogan that Freud had of dreams of the royal road to the unconscious. There's a lot I don't agree with about Freud, but that I think he hit the nail on the head because dreams are an expression of ways that we want to understand get messages from, learn more about ourselves and our environment. So dreams, we'll get to nightmares in a sec, dreams can help us with creative problem solving, can help us with spiritual connection, can help us just have fun at at night, give us a break from something that's hard during our day. And they also contain information for us about our lives. And that information can be things that happened yesterday or last week or last month or last year or all the way back from our childhood or before we were born. So depending on your philosophy and spiritual orientation, the dreams can connect us with deeper wisdom and knowledge than we have access to in our everyday walk around wide awake linear left brains. That's the dream side of the equation. Yes. So before I launch into nightmares, let me give you a chance to see if you wanted to add or ask anything. There. Yeah. I, I The only thing I would add is before we started recording, I said to Linda, I'm not even s- super knowledgeable about dream work as a psychotherapist. I had some training in dream work that was from the Gestalt lens. I love That's pretty much it. This is really fascinating. And I am very involved in doing trauma work right now. So I think it's really important to look at this. And I'm really interested in your forthcoming book about the ancestral dreaming, because even when you hint at this idea that our dreams could contain information from generations before, and I think we see with so much intergenerational trauma and collective trauma, the power and the potential healing in that seems great. So we'll have you back on for that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Okay. So to go to the second part of your question about why do we have nightmares, there are three categories I I use. There are, are dreams, 
there are bad dreams and there are nightmares. And bad dreams are in the middle where they're upsetting, we're anxious, we're a little concerned, we're worried, but they don't wake us up in panic and they're not terrifying. For example, if we were going to rate distress level on a sud scale, like subjective unit of distress for those trained in either EMDR or other energy psychologies, or even just when you go to the doctor's office, right? And they say, rate your pain from zero to 10. That's the sud scale. Bad dreams might have a sud scale around upset. Anything that goes in the category of upset, it's like a two or a three or maybe a four. But when the upset from what we're calling the bad dream gets to be like five or higher, then we're in nightmare category. And these often are accompanied with physiological changes. People get heart palpitations. People wake up with a gasp. People feel profoundly distressed, often in the category of the fear emotions, but also with extreme grief or sadness or rage. Anytime the emotion seems larger than life, so to speak, and it's negative, then we're in the category of a nightmare. And when we're understanding, when I do dream work with people, there are two, there are many layers that we work on in the dream. And one layer is the narrative storyline of the dream. What happened first? What happened second? And then who are the characters? And what is the setting? So these are a couple of different areas we pay attention to. But the key to understanding the meaning of a dream or nightmare is what I've called the emotional narrative. So we pay attention to what are the dreamer's feelings, the beginning, the middle, the end of the dream, and what are the dreamer's feelings and emotions as they're telling us about the dream. And this mm. gives us a lot of insight as to what it might be connected to. Wow. So nightmares are often an SOS from our unconscious, which are saying to us, there's stuff that happened to you in your life or in your extended family that has not been resolved, that has not been put to rest, that you have not made peace with yet. And it's interfering with your life in some way. And when you then get into the category of repetitive nightmares or repetitive themes that come over and over again, even if the dream is a little different, then it's saying, if you don't pay attention and do something here, we're just gonna keep coming back. And sometimes they will really escalate because as the philosophy from ADEP, Diana Fosha's work, we're all hardwired for healing. Our system wants to move toward healing, recovery, balance, equilibrium. So if we're out of balance, our system isn't happy and it wants us to be in balance. And ironically, that's sometimes why we get these nightmares and bad dreams, because our mm -hmm. system is saying, you're not in balance and we want you to do something about that. Wow. I was going to ask about the recurring themes or recurring nightmares, and that's really helpful. Even the notion that we're wired to do the healing, and then I think about sleep, that studies are showing it's supposedly so healing for us, healing for our brains, healing for our physical bodies in terms of recovery. Athletes always get tons of sleep or their things like that. So then there's also this healing potential of our dream work, our dream life. And if we are not getting enough and enough restful sleep and enough restful deep REM sleep, rapid eye movement REM sleep is where we have our dreams, then we're not getting the restorative sleep that we need. Mm. And there's a lot that's been written and talked about in the last, I don't know, five, 10 years, how certainly in America, but I think all Western societies 
really have they it's been called an epidemic of, of sleep deprivation and it affects our ability to function in the world if we're not getting enough restful and enough deep sleep so one of the many things that can disturb our ability to do that is when we are experiencing nightmares mm, yeah and you've created linda your own protocol for working with nightmares the guided active Im- imagination approach guided active imagination approach right yes yeah. <laughs> tell us about that sure gaia is the wonderful acronym and i was so delighted that we came i was i had this method put together in my mind and had been using it and it needed a name so i brought it actually to my dream circle my professional dream circle that i facilitate and we played with words and, and my dream circle members helped me come up with the words. And I love the fact that it says Gaia, which is Mother Earth. So beautiful to that. Basically, the Gaia approach that I've developed for working with nightmares is particularly geared for working with the scarier ones or the nightmares from trauma. And it has two pillars that it's based on. And the first pillar is safety, resource installation, borrowing a page from EMDR and other energy psychologies that says, let's start first with the dreamer being really safe, grounded, and resourced before we look at and address the very scariest things that are perhaps going on in their life right now. I go very slowly with people who present a nightmare I don't always go this slowly with someone who either doesn't have a trauma history or isn't too upset about the bad dream. But when someone has a lot of accompanying emotional distress, we take it extremely slowly. So this um, step one is the resource installation of gathering um, your posse, if you will, Mm -hmm. of people, animals, objects that bring you comfort, security, safety. These people can be in your life. They can be alive today. They can be departed relatives. They can be spiritual beings. They can be your pets. They can be your spouse. They can be your friend. They can be a character from a comic book or a movie. One of my little kids that I worked with brought Mary Poppins in to be her spiritual resource. An adult gentleman I worked with brought Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. resource for him. Lots of people bring their pets because sometimes that's the most uncomplicated relationship somebody has is with their beloved cat or dog. Mm-hmm. Or that's other right. Um, so we gather as many resources as we need, including objects mm-hmm. that we might want to bring with us to, to feel safer before we go into a scary place. And by definition, nightmare is a scary place. Mm-hmm. So this is all step one of the, of the Gaia method. And then between step one and two is the bridge. And the bridge is after we've gathered all these resources from the outside of the dream, we look inside. We don't go in it yet and start working with it. But we look inside the dream to see, are there potentially any resources or helpers there? that we might not have noticed or they might have not mentioned the first time they shared the dream. So not infrequently will someone will recognize that actually they already had some resources, they already had some safety before in the dream, before they we start to work on it. 
that they just hadn't noticed, they just hadn't referenced before. So it's always nice when people discover, oh, I had some strengths actually already here in this nightmare or some support I didn't quite recognize the first. Mm -hmm. So that's within the dream that you go back and, and you might find that support or resourcing within the dream as well. Yes, even in a scary nightmare. Not always. People don't always go back and say, oh, yes, I see. I, I forgot to mention it, but there was actually this woman sitting under the tree and she had long braids and she was sitting cross-legged and she had a lovely expression on her face. And I think she was a, 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 a spirit guide for me or I think she was like my grandmother, who I always feel close to. So I say, great, let's not forget that she was there too oh. and include her in the posse of supportive people. And then the second part of the work is the other pillar. I said the first part is based on resource installation and safety. And the second part of the method is based on Jungian method of guy of um, active imagination, where we then go back inside the dream in waking life and we walk through the dream and work through it using a variety of different styles and methods of dream work, including, as you mentioned before, one method is the Gestalt method, where every person, everything, every character, even every part of a landscape in the dream is some part of the dreamer, him or herself. So we look at the tree part of you, or the little old woman with long braids part of you, um, as we're doing the work. And there are a lot of other ways to do active imagination. But what the reason we do step one first, because we bring with us into the dream then the resources that weren't there originally to help reduce the suds, to help reduce the, the anxiety and the fear of confronting the giant or looking at the person who's chasing us or what is it like to be in that pit where there are snakes or whatever the, the content right. of the nightmare right. is from a place of safety and resource rather than a place of helplessness and terror, which is often the case, A, or in the original nightmare that the person had, and B, in whatever was the trigger in life, the event or events right. where the trauma occurred. So in resourcing ourselves to go into the scary dream, we can then be resourced to address that self-same trauma that happened in our lives. Yes. Okay. Right. And that helplessness and terror is part of the, the definition of the traumatic events itself. And so you're connecting with the dream trauma and then the actual traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. So as you were, you would be working with a client, Linda, for you've created the posse of resources and then you start double checking if there are any other resources or supports that weren't immediately recognized within the dream. And then you maybe very slowly go into this active imagination work of the dream. How do you, how would you guide somebody into using their resources when they need it while you're doing the active imagination dream work? That's a great question. I like the practical. I want to know, like, practically, oh, what do we do? There's a wonderful <laughs> word in Yiddish. It's tachlis. And it goes with this hand motion where you smack one hand against the other. And it oh. means, let's get down to the nitty gritty here. I like it. <laughs> this is a tachlis <laughs> question. <laughs> so I'm very slowly asking someone, 
do you want to tell me the dream? If yes, they tell it to me, then I don't assume they want to work on it. Do you want to work on this dream? I want to check because I want to go incrementally slowly with someone who has had a dream where they're terrified. If the answer is yes, then I have them tell me the dream. And then I ask them, what would you need to feel safe and secure and comfortable before going into the dream? And then they we go through and we find their, their list of resources. With the resources, we say, okay, now the dream's over here and you're outside. Look inside. This is the bridge. See if there's anything else to keep you safe and secure. Once we get all that, then I invite the person to go back in the dream inside. And some people like to do go chronologically. So some people say, let's go in at the beginning and walk through the dream chronologically. Other people want to go into the dream at, at the safest place before the traumatic events of the dream occurred. And other people say, no, let's just hit the ground running. And I want to go to see right when that tiger is about to pounce on me, that's where I want to go because I know what's going on mm-hmm. here. So once we know where the dreamer wants to start, they go inside the dream. And I say, now that you have all your resources, what's the next step? So a lot of doing dream work is asking the dreamer, and what happens next? And what's the next step? And what do you need here? And do you need anything else besides what you have? And then I will offer suggestions and advice if their internal processing is not getting them to a safe place. But I want to first start with their resources and their ability to negotiate uh, this landscape. Often we will do uh, dialoguing with the scary event that happened from a place of safety. Sometimes we will rearrange the landscape. Sometimes we will bring in divine beings or the power of the force or the universe or God or whatever their spiritual belief system um, has for that or those words to keep them safe. Sometimes we then, once they have dialogued with, had a conversation with, figured out what is going on? Then we say, okay, now dream it forward. What happens next? Because I tell people that where the dream ended isn't where it really ended. It's just where they woke up. So I said, this is where you woke up. But now if the dream were to continue with the resources you have now and knowing what you know now, what happens next? And then we just keep going. What happens next until they get to a place of, oh, okay, it's calm. I feel safe. The monster has become an ally for me or has disappeared. I'll give you an example just popped into mind. I was working with someone who had a a history of sexual assault um, by her dad. And she was an adult in her 30s or 40s when I was working with her and had a series of dreams And often a house in a dream, not always, but often a house is some aspect of oneself. And we want to pay attention also to if there's a house in a dream or a building, is it something that is an imaginary dream building? It's a building they recognize from their life. And if so, what part of their life? Is it from now? Is it from your adolescence? Is it from your childhood? So she would have this dream of being in her childhood house and having her father in there and him threatening her in some way, shape or form. So this particular type of dream was, as we talked about before, a flashback. Mm -hmm. It wasn't identical to what happened to her, but it had a reminiscence of it. 
And sometimes it would be her father in the house. Sometimes there'd be a lion in the house who was going to pounce on her. Once there was a, a goblin in the mm-hmm. house and she was trying to go from room to avoid the goblin who was going to do something evil to her. So we went through the Gaia method and we we gave her posse. And I remember she was one of the people who had her pussycat with her. Oh. And she also had a wonderful blanket. I remember it was a quilt with blocked squares, a blocked square quilt that her grandmother had made her that she still had on her bed as an adult today. Mm -hmm. And that was one of her resources as well. But neither of those were sufficient to deal with the goblin or her father or the tiger. So I said, what else would you like? Because remember, this is your dream. You're not bound or governed by the rules of the natural world. So you can bring magic in, you can bring anything you want. So she said, I'd really like a magic wand. So I said, go for it. So we gave her a magic wand. And with her magic wand that she now had with her in the dream, she said, abracadabra, and she waved her magic wand. And what happened then? I asked her, I said, what happens when you wave your magic wand? So the goblin turned into a mouse. And she said, I caught the mouse and I put it in a cage and uh, it's not going to bother me ever again. I'm going to take that mouse out to the forest and I'm going to let it go in the woods where it can live its life to the end. But it's gone. It's not in my house anymore. Wow. What a release. What a release. And then she came back because we had been doing dream work for a while in a variety of different ways. And um, she came back a week or two later and she said, Linda, I'm almost afraid to mention it, but... I haven't had any nightmares this week. I I don't want to jinx myself, but I haven't had any nightmares this week. So I said, that's great. Let's keep track and see whether or not they return or any version returns. So week after week, she came back and reported, no, no more nightmares. And then the last piece she came and she says, I'm starting to have other dreams. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to have dreams that aren't scary. And then this was a revelation for her because pretty much she developed a phobia of going to sleep at night because she was so scared of having these nightmares over and over again. Yeah. Wow. Once she could transform the monster into a mouse and let it go in the forest, she was good to go. Mm -hmm. It's it's such a powerful example of healing of how these, this dream work can heal trauma. It provided her that release. And I've had clients and I'm sure many of our listeners have too, where they say, I've never actually had a good dream. I only have bad dreams. And we haven't even dived into their trauma because just like you said at the beginning, they may not have enough safety yet to do it even in session, That's right? right. Yeah. yeah. And back one of our earliest forerunners of trauma treatment and, and thought trauma theory, Judith Herman, talked about and she had the three stages of healing from trauma and the first one is always safety in your environment safety in your physical body safety in your in your emotional world so first we have to develop safety and that goes hand in hand then if there's no safety in our life and there's no safety in our dreams we got to start wherever where our client is so if they're coming to us with nightmares and they don't feel safe enough to go to bed we start there. And if they're, and then that goes back to sleep hygiene as well. We help them create an environment where they go to sleep at night, where the room in which they're sleeping is safe. Mm-hmm. Because it has become, if it has become contaminated by their nightmares, then 
they don't even have a room to go into at that point. So we might start way back with, okay, um, first of all, we have to ascertain, is their actual home where they're living today safe, right? Is it true that their environment is safe and there's not any domestic violence or there's not some kind of neglect or whatever it is that they're actually can say, yes, my actual environment today is safe. That's where we always have to start. But once we've ascertained that, okay, what's your sleep hygiene? What's your pattern? Do you need to check to make sure your doors are locked at night? Do you have a a ritual or routine that helps you start to relax before you go to bed? You take a warm shower and then you have these steps, you brush your teeth. Do you have any practice of blessings or prayer before you go to sleep? Would you like to have a practice of blessings or prayer before you go to sleep? Can you surround yourself and your room and perhaps your house with some kind of a protective boundary with light? And you get the color that is the most protective to them. doesn't matter what you or I might think. It might be white light. It could be blue. It could be yellow. Whatever is most protective to them. And have them actually excuse me, surround themselves with this light before even getting into bed, mm-hmm. before going to sleep, and surround either themselves or their bed or their bedroom, whatever feels right. So for starters, they're in a quieter place. Mm, Beautiful. And as you say that, Linda, you're really also explaining so clearly how we can help expand our clients' resources or expand their range of Mm. actions or thoughts or their creative range, which is so much an integral part of therapy, right? expanding, Expanding the range and the choice points, right, that they could actually create a, a ritual before bed. They could create this engulfing color that would give them calmness and that bringing that agency back to them. I think that's so beautiful. And as well, what you said about the safety and trauma, I just wanted to go back to this because it's so important, including that permission piece, because we know when somebody has been traumatized, right, their permission was taken away. Right. What, and so I love how you Start with the dream work of even just checking in with the client. Would you like to look at this dream? They may not. And so everything is very permission-based, which I love when working with trauma. Mm. So we've talked a bit about the nightmares, and then you also do embodied dream work, which is that beautiful culmination of spirituality and mind-body work and energy psychology. Share a little about what the integrated embodied approach is. Sure. So just like when I'm doing non-dream work (laughs) with my clients, I'm working from a heart center, but I'm paying attention to body, mind, heart, and spirit and doing the work. We're trained in our professional schools to do a pretty good job with the mind part and a pretty good job with the heart part, but we don't get a lot of training in the spirit or the body. So over the years I've been practicing, I have studied a variety of different somatic approaches, including Peter Levine's somatic experiencing and Pat Pat Ogden's psychomotor psychotherapy. And I'm trained in Reiki 
and I have some knowledge of cranial sacral. So there's a whole, and I could go on and on, I won't. And I've also studied a variety of spiritual traditions. I've been studying Kabbalah for years and years, but I've also studied Wicca and Native American spirituality and Eastern spirituality. So I'm very open to however my clients want to approach integrating their body and their spirits, as well as their hearts and their mind into their healing work. And some people are like right there and other people are like, "Mm, no, thank you. Not for me. (laughs) And I respect that. So when I'm doing integrated embodied work with people, I might be doing gestalt work with them. I might be doing work where we literally get up out of our chair and we do some psychomotor psychotherapy where, or we do constellation work or we do um, dialoguing. And I ask sometimes people, we do sculpturing, for example. So I ask people, here's one example, and I can do this in a therapy session or with a dream. Let's put our physical body into the position that it would look like when you were really frightened in that dream or in that event that you're telling me about. And I stand up with them. I don't sit in the chair as a watcher because I don't want them to feel intimidated. So we both stand up and they will do whatever it is that shows me this is how my body would look when I'm scared. It often will involve some kind of crouching down or or eyes down or, or defensive posture. And I'll ask them, what does that feel like? So then ask them to name the emotions in their body. Okay. And I will do it with them. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, so now what's the opposite of that feeling? So if the feeling they had was fear, the opposite might be feeling brave or feeling empowered or feeling strong, whatever it is, the opposite for them. I say, okay, now put your body in that position. Show me with your body what your body would be looking like and doing when you were feeling strong or empowered. So then they change their position. This is called sculpting. And we do a a sculpture of the new emotion, for example. And we stand up and they do it and I do it. And then I ask them to report, what does that feel like in their body? And sometimes I'll take a suds, right? A check upset level of distress. When you're in that fear crouch, how big is your upset? And it's usually somewhere between five and 10, but within moments of changing their body into a strong, empowered statue, standing up often, maybe hands on hips, chest up, head up, whatever it is, the distress cells goes right down just from changing their body position. So that's just one example of many different ways we can do integrated and embodied work. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll also invite them to, connect with whatever spiritual tradition they have, if they have one, to find a resource there. Can we invite Jesus into the room with us? One of my clients like to sit in Jesus's lap as her safe place. Wow. I said, that's fantastic. Someone else was able to invite the angel Raphael, who is the angel of healing, who stands behind us in in the pantheon of the four angels. So she had Raphael put his arms around her from behind. And there's no right or wrong. And another one of my clients is not connected with any sort of uh, formal religious practice, but he would connect with the universe. And he said, when I look at the stars at night, I feel moved. I feel 
like there's something larger than myself. I feel connected with the universe. So I said, great, let's bring the stars in and take a look at the stars to help you feel safe. So mm. we're following and we're suggesting. At yes. Time where we have to know when to lead, when to follow. So I can make suggestions when I'm doing dream work with someone or therapy for that matter, but I'm not imposing. I'm just saying, how about this? Or what about these ideas if they're stuck? Right. Yes. It's very much like the experiment, making those suggestions. And if it's too much, you bring, you downgrade it, you bring it back a little bit or explore where the client wants to go. What's so intriguing is how this dream work and the embodied embodied work really gets to our own inner wisdom. And that's what you're helping the clients connect with. Again, back to connection. <laughs> that's right. Yeah to connect with their own inner wisdom and to connect with the wisdom that is, as Jung would say, part of our collective unconscious. Mm. So we can tap in with both what we already know and with what's available for us in the universe in a way that's harder to do in our full-on awake walk-around life. We need to sit down. We need to get to a place of quiet. We need to tune in. Whether we're doing dream work or whether we're working with a nightmare or whether we're making time for some meditative practices in our life mm. to be able to access the place of knowledge that's both our own and more than our own, that's bigger than ourselves. Yes. Yes. In one of your books, I was able to glance a little bit at it and you share about the Wizard of Oz and the Dorothy journey. And you said something about the message of Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, that the message for Dorothy and for us is to learn firsthand for ourselves how to find our way back home. No one else can really tell us what our dreams mean. And so as I took this in, and then what you just said about we can get that deeper level of wisdom for ourselves and even greater than ourselves. We're not always going to be able to like work with somebody to understand what our dreams mean. I guess what I'm wondering is how do we go into our dreams? Like maybe somebody listening is just curious about doing this for themselves, right? Yeah. Like they don't want to work with an expert. They're not quite brave enough to join a dream circle yet. So what, how do we even start to like work quote unquote with our dreams? So it, it's almost like we've circled back to the beginning, which is great. So what I always tell people is dreams are very ephemeral. They're like smoke and wisps, right? You sit up too fast, you get out of bed, they're gone. Mm -hmm. So you need to anchor them down if you want to remember them. And you can't work with them if you don't remember them. So keep a journal by your bed with mm -hmm. writing material and capture the dream, write it down as quickly as you can, or as soon as you can, after you wake up, so that you don't lose the details of the dream. And writing, I actually recommend if people can write, because there's something about the physical movement of our hand and arm that is it connects us somatically with the dream state as well. But if you can't, and if you must type on a device, that's fine. And if you can't do that and you want to speak auditorily into your phone or, or, or your computer, or whatever, feel free to capture it in whatever way you can. But if you've recorded it auditorially, you want to go back and put it in writing later on. Mm. So principles of remembering dream. First, 
you have to want to. Because if you don't want to, if it doesn't really matter to you, then you won't remember. So if it's important to you, you can have Mm -hmm. an intention for remembering your dream. Then get it down in writing in some way, record it. Backing up to what you can do in my PTS dreams book, when I'm talking about nightmares, I say, here are things you can do before, during, and after sleep. Mm. So before going to sleep, if you want to remember, if you have a question, if you have a dilemma, if you have a creative block, if you have a conundrum, if it's a regular dream, should I take this new job or not? Is it in my best interest? I'm really not sure. Or this new person I've been dating, I'm not sure. Am I ready for monogamy or not? Or whatever the question is, you're writing some poetry and you're stuck on how to find the next phrase. So many creative artists of all forms have found their muse through their dreams. And if it's a nightmare you're working with, you can write down, what do I need to feel safe? So this is called dream incubation. So incubation is basically you spend a few minutes before you go to sleep at night and you write down what you want your dream muse to come and tell you. Mm. And you end your writing. You could be just do it for two minutes or you could spend a half an hour journaling, whatever feels right to you. Try to end with as specific a question as you can. And the more specific your question, the more the easier it will be to find the connection between what you're asking and the dream you have. Mm. So then you have your, you go to sleep, you have your dream, and you write it down on the same page that you wrote your question. And then you go back and forth between what you asked and the dream mm. and see what the connections are, knowing that the language of dream is symbol and metaphor. Whether it's a pleasant dream, a bad dream, or a nightmare, very often you will have to do some work decoding what the symbols and metaphors in your dream mean. And this is actually one of the most important points. No one else, even if you're working with someone else, can tell you what your dream means, what your symbol means. You are the final authority on what it means to you. I see. Okay. People often say, should I look it up? Should I use a dream dictionary? And I'll say, it's not my favorite thing. You can, but please take anything they tell you with a grain of salt and see if it actually resonates for you in your life. Because if it doesn't, that's not what it means for you. Mm. And then you have to contextualize the dream in what your life is. So if you dream of walking in the woods and coming across a bear, and I dream of walking in the woods and coming across a bear, your history and relationship with a bear might be different than my history. And right. relationship. That's going to be a scary dream for me, Linda. hundred oh, percent. I'm so sorry. We're gonna, but we're gonna the bear's going to be in my house also. Pardon? The bear's also going to be in my house. Oh, automatically just by mentioning that. Oh, yes. Yes. I don't know if we have time or not, but do you want to do something with that? Sure. Okay. So just saying the word bear was enough for you to go, oh, no. Somebody else could say, oh, I have this cute little teddy bear that I sleep with. That was not your association. No, I I know where he is, too. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I'm going to do this really quick on one leg because we probably are close to out of time. That's all right. Do you have, to the best of your knowledge, you can just say yes or no. You don't have to like disclose any personal experience with a bear that was scary, like a bear roared at you when you were a child or anything that you know of. 
probably as an adult encountering a bear on a trail was a little scary, but I think this happened. I think I would have like bears in the house dreams before then. (laughs) Bears in the house. You actually did encounter a bear on a trail once. Yes. So you, it was like insult to injury. You were already having scary bear dreams in the house. And then you encountered a bear on a trail. So you have two things going on. Let's stay, since you said you had the bear dreams before you saw the bear on the trail, which I think anybody, I would be scared of a bear on a trail too if I was hiking. But the bear dreams in Mm. the house, what would you like to bring with you into those dreams, should they ever happen again, to help you feel safe, secure, grounded, and protected from Mm any bears? Wow. I can see that's a powerful question. Yeah. I need some like magical egress. I need some way to just fly out the window. Fabulous. So the first thing that comes to mind is you want to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Magical egress. Out the window. Yeah. Now you absolutely could do that. But before you fly out the window, do you see your magical egress, your magical window that's able to open or not yet? Mm, No, not yet. Okay. I think that might be what, because this is one of the things that when people work alone with something scary in a dream, the tendency is get out of Dodge Mm because it's scary. However, we miss getting the information we need from the scary thing that keeps following us in our dreams if we just leave the dream. So I would hypothesize that this bear has some kind of a message for you, Mm -hmm. but we don't know what it is. So you need to somehow either get the bear out of the house so you could talk to it or be protected from the bear in the house so that you could potentially have a conversation or have a dialogue with Mm, the bear and say, Mr. Bear or Ms. Bear, why are you following me in all my dreams or Or whatever it is you want to ask? Yes. And even as you say that, Linda, I can feel the different power and the shift that would, that experience would bring if I were able to like have that direct conversation with a bear. Yeah. This is fascinating. (laughs) So you might need to surround yourself with a magic bubble of light that keeps Mm -hmm. all dangerous critters out and that bears could not possibly penetrate. Right. Because it's exactly because it's not always just a bear. Sometimes it's a different type of animal. So whatever the animal is. Yeah. Feels threatening. You need to make sure that you are completely safe and protected before you find out and ask these animals What's going on here? Why are you following me around in my dreams? Because, and we might need to save this for another time, but we often can be surprised that the scary monster or bear or animal that has been terrifying us in our dreams for years actually is coming to try to give us a message Mm. or even to give us a gift of some sort. But because they look so scary, we've just been running and we haven't yet befriended our shadow or befriended our monster, which is what we ultimately will need to do to make peace with whoever, whatever is, is chasing. Oh, us. 
That's so beautiful. Yes. And finding that hidden gift in the darkness, which you talk about so much, but I'm just so moved that you would be willing to like go out on, on one leg and do that little exercise with me. And it feels even a little healing as we come to the other side of it. So mm-hmm. oh, I have some, yeah, I have some dreaming on purpose work to do. <laughs> exactly. That's what dream incubation is dreaming on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As thank you again, Linda, one, one other thing. So this was super helpful to, to have that experiential process, but for a therapist wanting to take the first steps into integrating dreams in their practice with their clients, they're not experts yet. What do you suggest as first steps? Um, First steps, read a whole bunch of different books from different dream workers that give you an orientation and some experience and some knowledge of what people who have been doing this for a long time are suggesting and recommending. And, And then so get some information, get some knowledge about dream work. And then the other main thing is start asking your clients. So many therapists don't even ask their clients about their dreams. Right. It's elusive, <laughs> obvious. Yeah. If we don't and, talk about sex, our clients aren't going to tell us. If we don't ask exactly. about dreams, they may not tell us. Exactly right. And most clients, if just even think about when you're doing an intake and all the information you're gathering, add to your intake. Tell me about your dream life. Do you tend to remember your dreams? Do they tend to be pleasant? Are they scary? Do you have nightmares? A whole world of information right there. And once your clients know that you're the kind of therapist who's interested in their inner world, they will bring their inner world to you. So if you invite them, if you build it, they will come. (laughs) That's so great. And I hope that my listeners can hear the mastery there of all of your years of experience, right? Just that one question, a few questions with an intake can lead to a totally different relationship and rapport Mm -hmm. building between your clients and yourself. And that's so fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. I really... I'm just so grateful to you, Linda, for sharing your time and your expertise with us on the podcast today. And I just also acknowledge you for this tremendous work you've done in the field and you continue to do. And that inspires me to keep going as well and can't stop learning as a therapist and teaching. And so huge shout out to you and thank you for all you're doing to help heal people that are experiencing so much trauma. It's just amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was a pleasure being on the show with you. Oh, I'm glad. Please tell us about your books, where people can find them, your website, all of your contact places. So my website is www.lindayaelschiller, all one word, and that's L-I-N-D-A-Y-A-E-L s-c-h-i-l-e-r.com so that'll give you an overview of who i am and what i've been doing and then each of my two books has a a website of its own so moderndreamwork.com is all one word and the other is pts dreams spelled just like that p-t-s-d-r-e-a-m-s.com so cool yeah the other book great we'll link to those for sure all of these will be in the show notes And 
Yes. And please check out her website. She has some amazing blogs on there. You can see all of her other guest appearances, their articles and PDF links. It's really robust. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Again, thank you so much, Linda. And you've given me and I know our listeners a lot to think about around dreams and trauma and connection. Great. Great. Thank you, Cindy. What a great conversation with Linda Yael Schiller. It was such a treat for me to get to experience her working with one of my recurrent dreams, rather unpleasant dreams. That was really a treat. And so many important, powerful takeaways. I just want to mention a few. The first is the importance of safety, creating safety and support when working with clients around their dreams And as we know, of course, around their trauma. And so using a personalized safety protocol where you can resource people, objects, images, things like that to help have grounding for safety is so important. And then think about that SUDS rating scale that we hear all the time. It seems like it's almost overused or useless. And yet Linda makes fabulous use of it in trying to rate the intensity of dreams, also of emotions. I loved her example of sculpting and collaboratively experiencing the body position of a certain emotion and then going for the opposite of that and re-experiencing that body somatic position in space and sharing that and perhaps even using the SUDS rating scale for that. So it's really kind of cool when we see these tools that we have that can be used in deeper ways. Um, in this in this case, a very emotion-focused way. And lastly, the message of our dreams as being gifts for us. The darkness may hold a message or a gift that we have yet to understand. The fact that we can do dream incubation and try to have a different relationship with our dreams with some intentionality and the methods she describes for that are right at our fingertips, very easy, anybody can do it. And so what I'd love to know is, um, are you an active dreamer? Are you gonna try one of these um, dream recall approaches? And let me know. Find me on Instagram. That's the best, fastest way to reach me. Heart Centered Therapist. That's my handle on Instagram. Tag me, send me a DM. Take a screenshot of this podcast as you're listening and tag me in it, Heart Centered Therapist. And I would love to start a conversation about what has resonated for you around trauma and dream work. So thank you again. I look forward to seeing you next week. And until then, stay heart-centered. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.